message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Thank you very much. Mike forgot to turn it on. He turned 60 today, so he forgets things. Oh, okay. 60 today. I'm not talking bad about 60 because I'm too close to do that. All right, well, somebody would be ready to read verses 1 through 14 of Matthew 22 for just a minute, but I, I kind of want to set it up for you. When Daryl called and asked me uh, if I would be, like to speak today, of course, I'd, I'd love to speak today, but I had already had a message developing because a group of pastors that I meet with on a regular basis were preparing a series they called Living in the Red. And it was about the parables of Jesus, about the red words of Jesus in the gospel and the parables that he used. And this is the first one that they're going to use. And they had asked me to contribute uh, in the preparation of it, and I'd been working it up anyway. So it was ready. It's warm, uh, sitting on the front burner, so to speak. So I'm glad to be able to come and present the Word of God to you. But let me set this passage up, because as Jesus begins his ministry... And I get this out of John, the first couple of chapters of John to begin with. And in John, it talks about Jesus turns the water to wine at the wedding of Cana. And not too long after that, he ends up in the temple. And he is, he is stressed, he is angered by what's going on in the temple. And he chases out the money changers and he cleanses the temple at that point in time. Now let's fast forward to the end of his ministry, three years later. And he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We call that the triumphant entry. And as he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, he goes to the temple. And guess what's going on in the temple? The same old thing. The exact same old thing. And it angers him again. Except this time, it was like in, in John when he does it, he just moves on. But this time, it stews. You ever just get something in you that just stews? Now, Jesus had that. Several times, because you can see the disciples in several stories, they're all huddled up over here talking to themselves. Should we ask him that question? I don't know. He hadn't been in a good mood lately. You know, kind of like that. And, and, and Jesus just gets in one of those moods. He cleanses the temple, and he's walking out of Jerusalem. So immediately after he does that, he leaves, headed to Bethany, and he sees the fig tree. And the fig tree has only leaves and no fruit, and what does he do? He curses the fig tree. Now, not vulgar language, the fig tree. What he did is he said, may you never bear fruit again, because there was no fruit available for him. And the disciples are going, you know, this is not one of those days that we ask him questions, so to speak. And he comes back, but the disciples do, when they see that the fig tree has immediately withered, they say, how did you do that? And Jesus has a discourse on, if you have faith. I'm not going to teach on that, so we're going to move forward. He gets back in the temple, he's teaching in the temple, and the religious leaders walk up to him and they confront him and say, who do you think you are? That's my words for it. But they ask him, who gives you the right, the authority to do these things? And Jesus has a few words to say, but then he goes into a discourse of three different parables of saying basically, Your problem is you don't understand how the kingdom of God works. You don't understand 
that this religious practice you have in making up your own rules and putting these burdens on people and asking them to do things that you would not do yourself, and I get that gathered from different stories and passages and confrontations that he has with these people. He's saying, you don't understand the terms of the kingdom of God. See, there are terms, there are conditions on operating in the kingdom of God. And I know that's a surprise to you since by grace we come to faith. By faith and grace we become children of God. And I'm not saying anything against that, but I'm saying we need to understand once we are in the kingdom, what are the terms of living as servants of God in the kingdom of God? And that's what he's dealing with. Now, there is a lot of interest in heaven today, right? And we kind of equate that with the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, most of the time our minds go to when we die and go to heaven or Jesus comes back and takes us to heaven or that's what we're thinking about. You may have read the book, Heaven is for Real, or seen the movie, Heaven is for Real. I'm not going to discuss that. I'm just going to point out how that relays to us, the message that, the fervor over this relays to us is that people are really still interested in the hereafter. What happens in heaven? What heaven is going to be like? And anybody that says they have a word on that, they jump on it. They want to know what it's like. Well, in these three parables, Jesus tells one about two sons. One was obedient. Uh, One was first had an attitude of disobedience, but he went and did what he said anyway. What God was, or what the king was telling him to do, the father was telling him to do. The other said, sure, I'll go do it, but he didn't go do it. Which one was obedient? He tells that story. Then he has the story of the vine dressers and how they actually, when, when people were sent, servants were sent to collect the produce, they were mistreated, rejected, killed, and even they killed the son when he came. And then he gets to Matthew 22. And he tells this third parable. And I'm going to try to tell it to you, but you pay close attention to it so when it's read in a moment, you can tell me if I missed something, okay? You can check me out to see if I did. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not, I don't like to memorize Scripture. I like to memorize it in story form. So we're not talking about verbatim. We're talking about do I get all the elements in it? And I may not. So check me out. Make sure I get them right. But it's Jesus tells this story. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is like this. A certain king arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding. But they were not willing to come. So a little later, he sends out more servants. And he says, see, the oxen and the fatted cattle have been killed and prepared. Come to the wedding. And they made light of them and went about their own way, some to their farms, some to their businesses. And he talks about that what happened after that is that some others took those servants and mistreated them and even killed some of them. And the king, when he heard about this, he was furious. And he sent his armies down 
And he destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. And he said, those were not worthy to be a part of my son's wedding, of my kingdom event or affair. So he sent his servants out, even more servants out again, and he says, go into the highways and the byways. Go everywhere, is what he's saying. And invite everyone. And they came and they filled the banquet hall, both good and bad people. But he came, the king comes in, and he looks across the banquet hall, and he spots one man who is not wearing a wedding garment. And he goes up to him and he says, Friend, how is it that you came to be involved in the wedding, but you're not wearing a wedding garment. And the man was speechless. And the king says, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, you hear that? Did you get that? Let's, let's hear it read from the Bible. Anybody want to volunteer to do that? We might, you want to mic this? If somebody is reading it, okay. Who's going to read it? Okay. We got one over here. You're the microphone stand. Yeah, good. Now pay attention because I'm going to ask you a few questions. This is a difficult this passage and I need some help. All right. So through 14. Through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves, and, have been, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at, his, at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to, them, said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. How'd I do? Thank you. I was really nervous about that. I don't know if you noticed my voice in the air that I was breathing in and out. I was nervous about telling that story because sometimes I don't get them right. But, uh, okay, here, but here, here's what I want to ask you. What did you notice about the passage that just struck you, you thought was important? Anything stand out to you? No. I ha- I'm wearing hearing aids, just so you know, so I'm going to need a you mic on that. What stood out to me is that both good and bad came to the wedding. Okay, both good and bad. Anyone else? Rick over here has got us. 
so I just thought it was uh, really interesting that that he sent the servants out to like the highways and byways just to gather strangers, just mm. to gather anybody in. And uh, I thought that was really okay. Interesting. Very good. Anyone else? Something important? We have someone. <laughs> we probably should have had them come to you, I guess. You get your walking in. Um, it just stood out to me that everybody at the banquet had on the wedding garment except for the one man. Okay. That might be important, huh? Yes. Anything else? Is there a question that you had involved in there? Something that if you, when you, kind of one of those things, when I get through the gates, I'm going to ask this of God. Is there a question involved? No questions? Yes. Okay. All right. How did they know to have on a wedding garment if they were just brought in at that very moment? Okay. everybody was brought there and he didn't have on the wedding garment then why was he sent out and bound and tied in the end of the passage why wasn't he welcomed with the wedding garment if he was brought in with everybody okay let me let me address that real quick since that's twice now has been asked it was the custom of the king to provide the wedding garment okay yes sir Rick had another question. Yeah, the the whole the phrase and it's I'm probably at fault for never having really investigated it, but the verse fourteen, you know, many are called, few are chosen. I have absolutely no idea what that means. I, and if I think about it, I can't logically figure out what it means. Okay. So I'm hoping you'll. Well, I hope unfold. I do too, Rick. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'll let you repeat that for us. In verse 3, I sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Okay. Unwilling. What made them unwilling to come? Good stuff. Good stuff. What? Yes. Rejected him, and then it goes out to the Gentiles, so on and so forth. And yet, some are believers, and some are still rejecting him. Uh, yes, that's the deep stuff, though. <laughs> that's the deep stuff. That yes, ma'am. I kind of wonder if there's a parallel to the verses in Revelation that talks about those who are clothed in the white robes are those who, who are worthy because they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Mm. And they're the only ones who are clothed in the white robes. Very good observation. Good stuff. That goes with what Bruce was talking about, too. Eventually, we get to that. But, again, some of that's deeper than I intend to go today for further discussion on it. But I will touch on some of it. But let's just ask, let me ask a question. What did Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like? Anybody can just pop that one out. 
It's like a wedding banquet, right? It's like a king. Do you have something to say? No? Okay. Given a wedding banquet. Then he, this is my question. Do you see what the king's expectations are on those that he invites? What are his expectations on those that he invites? They come and they have on the right garments, the wedding garments. And so who is the wedding feast set to honor here? His son. Now we're in that parallel you're talking about. The son is whom? Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus is the son. Who is the king then? All right, now we're tracking with this. We know what Jesus is trying to show us, that God is like this. And the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, when Jesus came, his very first message that's recorded in Mark chapter 1 is, Repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, I have come, Jesus is basically saying, I am here to show you what the kingdom is like and to let you engage in the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying, I'm here to tell you what it's going to be like when you go to heaven. He's here to say, I brought the kingdom of heaven to you. It's time for you to know how to participate in it, and you need to know some things to do that. Repent means, essentially, change your thinking. It doesn't mean you have to be grieved inside and fall on your face. Now, sometimes that happens when you repent, when you realize how bad you violated something, and you repent with emotion and with grief. But basically it means just change the way you've been thinking about it. And 180 degrees difference from this. And Jesus is saying it's time to change the way you're thinking, but he's going to provide us the real information so that we can compare it and think, what is God like? What are the, what's the economy of the kingdom like? What can we do in participating in the kingdom now? Not waiting until we go to heaven, but what can we do now to participate in the kingdom? And a very simple thing he reveals in these passages that we're going to look at. But one of the things that sometimes it makes me hard to understand the difference in the Bible is the worldview that it's coming from. You see, there are essentially three worldviews that are prominent in the world today even. And he is actually speaking out of one of these worldviews. Now, you and I live in the worldview called right and wrong. We essentially see everything from a standard of right or wrong. We like black and white stuff, right? We don't like to live in the gray areas very much in our lives. We like to know what's right and what's wrong, especially those who are saved, so to speak, especially those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ and are trying to understand how to live for him. We like black and white stuff. There is another worldview that is power and weakness, especially in the spiritual world. Now, this is the kind of worldview that's prominent in South America and Africa where you have witch doctors or shaman or those kind of people who, who have spiritual powers that they exercise from demonic forces. And they even accuse Jesus a couple of times of operating that way in the Bible. But they see that, 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 that there are spiritual powers that exist and some people can manipulate those and use them to their advantage and it scares people And they will worship at the feet of men who have this power. 
and they make light or mock or have wars with people who are weaker than they are or stronger than they are, and they work to gain this spiritual power. And then there is this worldview, which is honor and dishonor. Now, this is the Arab world, the Muslim world. They work off of honor and dishonor. You hear about honor killings, right? Somebody dishonors a Muslim's family, it is perfectly legitimate to lie to them, to kill them. And this isn't wrong in their thinking because they are honoring their family by doing it. Changes the way you look at life, doesn't it? Now, I don't want to live in that culture or that worldview, but he's addressing that worldview because he says he gave this banquet in honor of his son. This is an honor thing. And those who refused to come dishonored his son, dishonored the king, and even dishonored the servants in the way they treated them and then even killed them. And there are some responses that we see that dishonor the invitation of the king, and they're varied. First of all, they were just unwilling. They were just unwilling. And he is relating to us that in the kingdom of heaven, when God invites you to participate or asks you to do something, and you say no, what does that do? If you're unwilling, what does that do? Dishonors king. Dishonors the Father. It dishonors God. When we're unwilling. Now, sometimes that's tough for us because it requires repentance. And it requires change. And it requires sacrifice sometimes. These servants who went out made a sacrifice, went out into dangerous areas. They were seized, spitefully treated, even lost their lives. But the, but the call went out to them, or they were sent out to give the call to others to come in. And some were unwilling. Others were hostile, making light. You may have one time been hostile yourself toward God, and you saw and repented of your thinking and came to Christ. Sometimes when bad things happen to us, we can become hostile again. There are times that I've been hostile with God in my praying. When something that I did not want to happen happened or something that I wanted to happen wouldn't happen and it really took away from my life or my thought of how my life ought to be lived and changed the way I had to go about life, when that happens to me, I tend to be hostile. Then there were violent men who actually seized and killed the servants. And then, of course, the fourth one is the guy who just was not willing to change into the garment. He wanted to be a part of the religious festivities or the wedding festivities or the kingdom of God as it was operating at that point in time. He, he came in to look, but he wasn't willing to change, and he dishonored God by not being willing to put on the robes of righteousness and at the same time being willing to step in and participate in the kingdom. Now, I'm going to talk about that, but what I think that is is that is someone who decides okay, I'll do God a favor and come to Jesus, but I'm coming on my own terms. Now, we sing a song. I think it's Billy Graham's favorite. He wrote a book called Just As I Am. How many of you know that hymn? 
heard it a lot of times, especially if you've been involved in a Baptist church very long. We've heard that song over and over again. But I want you to consider and, and tell me what you think. And, and this is, I'm inviting you to discuss again. What is the difference in coming just as I am and coming on your own terms? What's the difference in that? Anybody have a thought? Surrender. Can you elaborate a little bit? Well, I mean, you just accept it for what it is. You don't try to change it. You just... You just accept it. Okay. You accept the conditions. Say it again, I'll repeat it. You limit God to how much you can change or are willing to change, you're saying. Now, I'm not going to ask you to respond to this, but I want to ask you to consider this question. How much are you surrendered? Are you coming to God on your own terms. What is it that you say, okay, you can have this, but this is off limits, God. I'm willing to change this much, but I'm not willing to go that far in following God. Now, you've already answered that you think the king in this story is God. And I think you're right. But look at the king's disposition toward those who dishonor him, his son or his servants, or who are unwilling to make the surrender. What is his disposition? He was furious. Now, we don't like that in America anymore. We don't want to talk about that side of God. And and I understand because we spent a lot of time back when my grandparents were coming up and my father was coming up and all and, and all they heard for a long time was sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of thing. And we know that the Bible teaches us God is love and we have a hard time being able to bring those two together. We want to hold them as opposites. The opposite of anger is love. It's kind of the way we look at it. Or the opposite of love is anger and that's not so. God is a jealous God. When you come, He doesn't want to share you with someone else. He doesn't want you to add Him on the shelf to the other things that you worship in your life. When He comes, He wants preeminence. There's a story in the Old Testament. A guy named Joshua was taking over after Moses. He was taking over the armies of Israel. And one night, he sees a guy standing off in the distance. And he's enormous. This guy is huge. And he realizes this is the angel of the host of the Lord's army. And he goes up to him and he says, Sir, whose side are you on? And the guy basically says, the angel of the Lord basically says, You misunderstand. I did not come to take sides. I came to take over. That is the economy of the kingdom of God. If you want all that being a part of the kingdom of God has, if, you're, if, you, if you sometimes wonder, where are the miracles that used to happen? Where are the answered prayers that we get preached to that God answers prayers, but He doesn't answer mine? Where are the messages that come from God to other people other than just the pastors?
Where are those messages coming? What happened to all that? Where is the Word of God anymore? You know, there was a, a, a famine of the Word of God in the, in the land of Israel for 450 years, from Malachi to Matthew. There was a famine of the Word of God, the Bible says. And, and I'm noticing there's some sort of famine like that again. If you go to different churches, which I've been afforded to do over the past few years, if you go to different ones and hear, sometimes you just, what is happening? If you want full participation and you want to see God as He really is, the challenge is, to let God have all of you. Now, I, I can't tell you that that's a constant thing for me. I don't even know that it's ever a full thing for me. I wrestle and struggle to be in that place, and I, I come back before God not just every morning, but several times in the day and go, okay, I think I'm getting in the way again. Help me get out of the way. Help me not to want what I want, but to want what you want. I've got some stuff going on in my life right now, and, and, and it's, it's great opportunity being offered to me. But I want, sometimes I want it to happen. And really what I need to want is what God wants to happen. And to figure that out, and not just pray, well, whatever it is that you want to do, God, you just do it. But to figure out what is it God wants to happen and to agree with it and to go for it and to hammer in on it. Does that make sense? But that takes time. That takes turning off our entertainment and our distractions and getting alone and getting still and listening so God can speak in to our lives and give us guidance. Now, Rick, I, I struggled with verse 14 a long time in my life. But as we, I think it's the key to understanding this verse. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I think the call matches those who have been invited to the wedding feast. As we look at the verses in front of it, it matches those who have been invited to the wedding feast. In an hour, day, and time, what does that equal? He died for the sins of the whole world. Many are called, but few are chosen. Who are chosen? Those who surrender are chosen. And once they're chosen, what happens to them? They're in here. They're kind of running underneath everything else. Did you see them? What do you call them? Servants. And once they were called and chosen, then they became what? Sent. They became sent. He sent them out to invite others. He sent them out. Sometimes to hostile responses. But they were sent. 
And a servant doesn't look at the king and go, oh, not today. See, Romans explains this to us. Paul, in, in knowing what the gospel said and trying to help the Romans understand, he says this is so important that we get this for how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent. See, this is a cog. This is the linchpin. Not just a cog. This is the linchpin that pins it all together. The kingdom of heaven operates on people who accept the assignment of God to go. Which means Jesus didn't die. I said this before. I'm going to repeat it when I was here last time I said this, but I'm going to repeat it. Jesus did not die on the cross to create church-going people. When people become servants... They become going people. They're sent to go into the highways, to invite those, to look for those who have been called, and to invite them to the kingdom, to put their lives at risk. One of the missionaries that I've been studying lately said this. He said, the worst thing that is going on, or the, or the worst thing that we need to try to overcome in the Christian realm, in the church realm, is people being afraid to die. Because that's what keeps us sitting here instead of going and doing the inviting. Not the inviting to church, but the inviting to the wedding feast where they get what? The garment of righteousness applied to their lives. They accept that. They change by repentance and by transformation. They enter that process. And I don't think the, that the kingdom designation is about the kingdom to come hereafter, but rather it is about dress, addressing how we engage and involve ourselves in the kingdom now. I've asked a lot of questions, and I appreciate the responses. I really do. But there's one question that I need you to think very seriously about. If these things are true that we have looked at this morning in, in Matthew 22, then what can we do to be obedient to what it's telling us? Chris, you, do you have one of these? Let me give you one if you don't. I'd like for you to take a pen and write down the responses for me. What do you think we can do to obey what the Scripture is telling us there? Surrender. Listen. Yes, sir? Wholeheartedly come to God. Pardon? Discount, discount fear. Discounts here. Speak up, yes. 
fear. fear. Oh, okay. Thank you. My wife can hear you back there, and I can't hear her here. Anybody? Go ahead and let her repeat that. To go into the world and bring people to Christ. Okay. Go into the world, bring people to Christ. That's the right and wrong stuff that we live by, right? Black and white. Honoring or dishonoring matches up to that as well. Very good. Anybody else? The most difficult question I'm going to ask today, you don't have to answer it out loud, but I want you to answer it to yourself. And I'd like for you to write it down. If you have a bulletin or something to write it down on, I want you to pick one thing. One action, not idea, but an action that you can take this week to obey something God has said to you today. What action can you take this week? Is there a particular person that you can go and invite? Is there a particular thought that you need to work on changing and living by an opposite thought or a different thought? Is there something you're holding back that you need to surrender to God? And, of course, I would, I would challenge you that if you are in a place I guess what I'm really about to ask you to do is which one of those players, which one of those characters in this parable do you most relate to? Which one do you most relate to? And if, if that... What can you do to be the servant in the kingdom of God? If you're the person in white and you participate in church meeting, but you're not fully surrendered, you kind of come to God on your own terms, and today God has spoken to you and said that uh, I'm calling you to full surrender. I'm calling you to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. We'd like to facilitate that for you, to help you through that. Darrell, I, I would just let you take over that at this point, if you'd like to follow or what you would like to do from here. We're going to end with one more song.
realizing that uh, we're on the sidelines and we're not out on the highways and the byways. We're not, we're not doing our job. And so, Lord, for these next few moments, would you give us reason to be motivated? And I pray that our motivation would come, would come straight from our desire to honor the one the one who has given his life for us, your son, the one who the feast is for, (laughs) the one who the wedding party is for, in honor of him who has clothed us, his bride, in white garments, made that possible, the one who has married us and called us beloved. Lord, my prayer is that we, the bride of Christ, would with you, our Father, honor the Son, Honor Him by doing, doing what we are blessed to be called to do, which is go and be sent ones, be, be messengers, be angels in this world so that others could have what we've we received. So Lord, uh, meet us where we are. And don't just, don't just uh, convict us, Lord, of of maybe our sideline sitting. Give us that specific that specific thing we can deal with in our life that Jackie mentioned, Lord, that he challenged us with. Give us, Holy Spirit, that specific thing we need to deal with today and, and Monday, tomorrow, uh, to change things so that we so that we are active in the going and active in the telling and the inviting. Give us something to work on, Lord. Holy Spirit, be clear with us in just these last few moments. We pray in your son's name for his honor. For his honor. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.